We are kicking off a new series today. It's a three-week series, and it's one that I warned at least a couple people about. Because a few weeks ago, when I started getting everything ready for this series, I asked my staff at a staff meeting, I said, is this too sensitive of a subject right now? Like, is this the right time to address it, or is it still too sensitive? And I had a conversation with a family this week while I was meeting with them, and I said, I want you to know this series is not aimed at you. Like, we, we were already planning and preparing it, and I don't want anyone to feel like, well, Paul is just preaching this sermon because he knows my situation. He saw my, face, he saw my Facebook posts, and he is just picking on me. I'm not here to pick on you. I am here to encourage you about what Scripture says. And our series that we're kicking off is called No Offense. Because I don't know if you've noticed around our culture today, but people tend to get offended about a lot of things right now. It is very possible to offend someone else because you are not offended by what they are offended by and they find that highly offensive. Right? If you have this candidate's yard sign in your yard instead of this candidate, it's very easy to be offended. If this person kneeled at the national anthem or if they did not kneel, they will have people that are offended. In fact, there is probably someone in your circle of influence who has said something like, well, you know, we, we've been friends or we've been acquaintances or we've been close to each other for 30 years, but they believe this way about this current issue, so I'm not coming to Thanksgiving anymore. Doesn't matter if they're my mom and dad. I'm going to go somewhere else. Because right now, offense is so high in our culture, and it's not just the culture that's getting offended. It's within the church, within people who are Christ followers. He said, well, they didn't include my small group. I did this, or they supported this instead of that. And so I'm going to leave my small group. I'm going to write an angry Facebook post. I'm going to ghost out. And I want to just speak into the situation of how the Christ follower should handle offense over the next three weeks. And if you're navigating a serious offense with a family member, I want you to know that my, my compassion is towards you. But I also want to make sure that the instruction of Scripture is before you. Because there's a way that we should walk through this. And so we're going to start this week with James chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the brother of Jesus, which people often, the half-brother. Well, of course he's the half-brother because Jesus' father is God. But scripture calls him the brother of Jesus. And I just think that it's good to note that in families where there are half-brothers, scripture doesn't refer to brothers as half-brothers, just refer to them as brothers. Family is family. And so the brother of Jesus writes this. And he says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, I want to take note of, I want to focus on the category of people that this passage applies to as James is writing it, and he categorizes the people who need to follow this and need to hear this as everyone. There is not a special 
excuse, there is not special permission for your anger. You are included that everyone should be slow to anger. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be slow to speak. And everyone is important because when we look at the ultimate example of how we should live our life, if we look at Jesus, this is an interesting thing that you could note as you study the Gospels, that you will see that Jesus was asked questions 183 times. And depending on how you split it up, the way that he just directly gave them an answer only occurred about three times where he just directly gave them an answer. Because what we see 307 times in the life of Jesus, rather than just telling them what to do, 307 times Jesus had questions for his listeners. And if ever there was a person in a moment where someone had the right to say, you guys just need to shut up and listen to me, it was when Jesus was talking. Jesus had the wisdom But there was something about his wisdom that said in this interaction, I'm going to ask questions more than I'm just going to give them the answers. And so when James tells you, when you find yourself in a situation with other people, you need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. This applies to you and even the way that Jesus lived his life. We see see this reflected through the Gospels. And so, anger in today's culture, I believe that anger and offense are just very intermingled because when someone gets offended, they respond with anger. They respond with separation. They respond with wanting to sever a relationship because something happened and they want to hold on to that offense and they want to express the anger. And I understand that there's different levels of anger. There, there's serious, you know, they, they were talking bad about me behind their back to some of the lesser degrees of anger of like, they left me on read. Like I saw the bubble start, like they started typing back to me and then they just never finished and they never responded. And we have different levels of offense and different levels of anger that we have to navigate as a culture. But I want to tell you, the first thing that we need to do, our first response as we begin to feel that heat rise, should be, we should seek to understand. Slow to speak, quick to listen. The problem with that is that it requires a perspective of there might be more than what I currently know. And I feel like the perspective that the world has taken is each one of us already knows absolutely everything. Don't you love when someone tells you what your motivation was for doing something? Well, you did this because, are you a mind reader? Did you just like slip right inside my ear and read my thoughts to tell me why I did something? That feeling of I already know everything about you, I'm going to tell you, it will get you into relational problems because you don't know half the things that you think you know. You don't know what happened in their life when they were typing back to you and why they never responded. You don't know what happened that made them make that decision. 
whether it was a good decision or a bad decision, I'm just trying to impress upon you to take a position of humility to say, I don't know everything that I probably should know as we navigate this. So rather than just explode in anger, ask some questions. What's going on? Are you okay? We were supposed to meet up. You didn't show up. What, is everything all right? Is your family all right? And rather than just going to anger and offense, let's seek to understand. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And the word produce here, the other times that it's used, it's used in the circumstance as when you labor at the end of the day, when you get paid, that's that moment. And so the energy and the effort that you put forth and you allow anger to move through you into your relationships, it's not going to fix the situation the way that you hoped it would. It's not going to have that payoff. And it does not bring about the righteousness that God desired. Because in the places where you've allowed anger to be the method that you've used to try to get to the results that you want, how's that working out for you? Now, I know every parent that has had children has had the moment where at family pictures, they told their children, if you don't smile right now, I'm going to take those stuffed animals outside and set them on fire. You will smile. We will look perfect. This will be on Instagram for the rest of your life, and people will love this picture. And your child, through tears, is like, I'm so happy. In relationship with your spouse, you know it's not going to fix it. We were supposed to have a great date. This was supposed to be romantic. We are supposed to be making out right now, but what is wrong with you? Why would you react like that? And the anger that we feel, it doesn't bring us to the result that we want. And we know that in relationships, but we slide back into it time and time again. And I want to just impress upon you the realization that you have a choice. And the choice needs to happen very early in the conflict where you determine, I am going to be slow to speak because right now if I speak what I want to speak, there will be problems. It will not be righteous. It will not bring about the righteousness that God desires. It does not bring about the right circumstances in this relationship that I know that we need. And so at the very beginning of a conflict, allow the Spirit of God to just whisper into your head, into your heart, to hit pause on your tongue and just say, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. And so many things, you know, when we experience anger, we say, well, you know what? My anger is justified, Paul. It is a righteous anger. And I will be angry about this because that is how God fixes things in my life, by me being angry about them. Probably not. But even in the topic of righteous anger, I understand there's certain things, there's certain things that we're passionate about. There's certain things that it's like, well, yeah, I get angry about this sin. I get angry when I see this in other people's lives. So why only that sin? Why are we more offended when someone has their sexual purity out of line than we are gluttony? Why are we less upset about people who are lovers of money but more upset about the language that comes out of their mouth? Why are we more upset about someone's pride but not about their spiritual pride? 
And this is, believe me, I, I, I would love to talk to you about the holiness and the perfection of God and how we are called to be holy as he is holy. But all of that is between you and God and you are not supposed to force someone else to be holy. That is a conversation between them and God. And we continue to fail time after time of equally applying the law and the instruction of scripture to other people because we will say, oh, that sin's okay, but that one's not. And so we allow the Holy Spirit to do his job of convicting the world of their sin and allow him to guide us of which sin we're supposed to be fighting right now because the truth is we don't see it equally all the time. And so your righteous anger that you feel towards someone because they did something at some time, I want to just encourage you. Be righteously angry about the sin in your life. Hate the sin in your life that destroys your life. And your life will be a testimony and a light to other people of how to live. Anger, it doesn't help guide other people on the right way that they should be living. It doesn't help us in our relationships. And this is kind of the intersection that you will arrive at. In your relationships, you will decide, do we want to make a point or do we want to make a difference? Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Because we all know that there is a score that is being kept in relationships. It's like, we got into a fight because I made one little mistake, but I held on to the mistake that they made months ago because it was much bigger and I was waiting just for an opportunity just like this because though I messed up, they messed up bigger, so I hit them right in the head with their mistake from three months ago that they long forgot about. And you can win a fight, but you can lose a person. You can be right, but you can also be alone bigger than the loneliness thing. You can make yourself look puffed up and you can trample on someone who is made in the image of God. When all that God has done for you in the past is give you grace after grace, forgiveness after forgiveness, mercy after mercy. And I believe that intimately connected to your understanding and appreciation of grace that you don't deserve intimately connected to that is how it flows out of your life. If you don't have a desire and a recognition that I need to show mercy to those who have made mistakes, then I'm telling you, you need to expand your understanding of the mercy that God has given you because we are told and taught time and time again to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And so on the topic of offense as the Christian, I want to just bring it to your mind that as a Christian, when someone does something and it is unsettled with me, I will choose not to hold on to that offense because God has not held on to my offenses. Because in Christ, I am a new creation. I will treat other people with that same love and forgiveness. And though the world all around us might almost have joy in this moral superiority of hanging on to offenses, not with us. Not amongst people whose life is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the fact that he died on the cross to forgive us our sins. His passion and love for us was too intense for us to see that and then react with judgment to our brother and sister. 
we have no choice but re- responding with grace. And, and there's so many reasons, there's so many things that just go hand in hand. It makes so much sense for us to not hold onto offense. And you see, you see this illustrated in so many different places. When you look at the way that police officers and soldiers and boxers and MMA fighters have to train, they have to prepare themselves that when they're in a situation where their life is on the line, and someone is swinging at their head, they know they can't let their emotions get out of control because the fight that they're in is too important. And if you would look around you and say, these relationships that I'm in, this marriage that I'm in, the relationship with my children that I'm in, it is too important for me to let my emotions run wild. Anger cannot be something that takes control in a circumstance where my child's relationship is on the line where my marriage is on the line, I will not, I will choose to train my mind in a way that says I will slow down and I will understand more before I speak a word. Because when anger comes in, any boxer would tell you, your view of the situation narrows. Your ability to respond and see what's coming next, it goes away. And you make decisions that will end up being destructive for you. So anger, it makes sense in the spiritual that we need to honor God in the way that we interact. It makes just in practical sense that you're not going to be able to focus the way that you need to. And, we, and we're going to run into difficult things and difficult people and difficult situations. And I'm going <laughs> to give you a point, and, and it's scriptural. And, and I don't believe you're going to argue with me once we see the passage about it, but it might be a weird thing to hear in church, but it's an absolute truth that as we're navigating these, these situations where we get angry and we deal with difficult things, part of the reason why I think we respond with anger is because our expectations of other people is off. Like you literally need to lower your expectations of other people. Very church statement right there. Here, here's the evidence. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, he's writing about what the end of days will be like. And, and you can determine for yourself where you think we are in God's timeline of when the end will come. But this is the description that he gives of how people will be towards the end of days. Maybe you've seen this in the culture somewhere. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I feel like maybe I've seen one of those somewhere around me in this world, but that's the expectation of what you're going to be walking to as you navigate this life. But nowhere are we given permission to live our life as though our response to that kind of culture should mirror them. In fact, we're told you're supposed to have the fruits of the Spirit on display in your life even as you go through those things. Your faith and your response to these situations should not be propped up by anyone's actions or words. So the excuse of, well, they did this, so I did this, they're not propping up your faith. They're not the foundation on which you stand. Galatians 5.22 lists off the fruits of the Spirit. This is what is supposed to grow out of someone who has God in their life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. There is no limitation. There is no boundary that says that is too much. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You don't understand. I just want to tell, I just want to put them in their place. I just want to make them feel the way they made me feel. I just, I have the desire, the fleshly passion, put it to death on the cross. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is where the Spirit of God is going. And I'm going to walk right with Him. And time after time, the Spirit of God has led followers of Christ through difficult circumstances and difficult relationships. You will not be saved from difficult circumstances, but God will show His power as you walk through them. And I wonder as I read the two different passages of how people can be, which one you feel like you've been living like the most lately. And I don't, I don't want you to respond to that with guilt. I want you to respond to that with recognition of the opportunity that God says, I have something better for you than that. Because when you're, you're living through abusive situations, dealing with people with pride, people who are just loving money rather than loving people, people who are ungrateful without love, and that, that just breaks your heart and your mind down when you live around that all the time. And God has not designed you to live your life like that. God wants you to be placed in a community, in a place where there is joy and there is love and there is peace and there is kindness and there is goodness and gentleness and self-control. That is what God has for you. But we slip right into the world standard of living in response to what they've done to us. Instead, let's respond with what Scripture has taught us and with what God is wanting to do in our life and through our life. Because no matter what difficult circumstance you walk up to, you have the opportunity to be a source of life. And I love Jesus' example because he had all kinds of different messes just fall right in front of him at so many different times. And we learned so much about how to react to a mess from him. There's one time that where he was sitting at a well and a woman came up to him to draw water from the well. And she had been married multiple different times and she was living with a man right then that was not her husband. And it all came out in conversation. And Jesus' response to it was not, ew. What is wrong with you? Don't you know what you're supposed to do? How could you be doing that? That's disgrace. That wasn't his response. His response was, if you recognized who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And when he said I would give you living water, he was not talking about an iced coffee, which is very similar to living water. It will give you life. No, he was saying, I will give you a relationship with God that is right, that feels restored, that, that quenches the deepest part of your, souls, your soul in a way that this well never could. That through Jesus, you, you can be reconnected to God in a way that you know he is your loving heavenly father and you are his child. Jesus' response to her mess that she woke up in that morning, that she was walking in that day, his response was an invitation to a relationship. Let's get things right between you and God.
His disciples were another opportunity where it's like, man, why don't you just smack them across the head? Like, like he has poured so much of himself into them and there's so many opportunities for them to, to be of encouragement and help to the, the place that they're in. But he walks up on them and he finds them arguing about which one of them is gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, there should be a thing of like, what audacity do you have that you think out of every generation that has ever lived on earth, out of all of those people, that it's going to be you that gets to sit at my right hand as the best person who ever lived. Like, that's ridiculously audacious. But Jesus' response to them is always just his grace and is always leading them towards the next step. Peter, the one who said, you know, I will never leave you even if everyone else runs away. And then when Jesus was taken to be crucified and Peter denied that he even knew Jesus, that he swore, I don't even know the man. And then after his death and, during, and he was resurrected, Jesus is restoring him, saying, Peter, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Fulfill your calling. Be who you are called to be. So many situations that he could have responded with anger, but he always responded with an invitation back to what they were supposed to be doing. And so today, as we talk about offense, I know some of you guys are carrying offenses right now that someone else has done, and that needs to be dealt with. Some of you guys are saying, well, I've done something that is offensive that needs to be fixed. And I want to tell you, God just says, come on back to where you're supposed to be. Get back in the relationship with me because I have grace for you. For those of us who, who walked in carrying offenses, that, that they did this, they said this, they supported this, and, and it causes anger in my heart, I, I want to encourage you this way. Raise your gratitude for God's grace. Just go after a deeper understanding of God's grace in your life. Because as that cup gets, as that cup gets filled up, it's going to overflow into the relationships around you. As, as you have a better focus on all that God has forgiven in you, it's going to make you more easily forgive other people. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says it this way, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There is no pride. There is no boasting. There is no, I earned this in the kingdom of God. For everything that we have from God has been bestowed onto us. It has been given to us because of his grace. Because of his unfailing love and mercy. And I believe that the level of the gratitude that you feel for grace in your life, it's going to be reflected in your willingness to give grace to other people. And I believe that where we hold on to offense, it's going to show us areas where we really haven't even accepted God's grace yet. Ben, if you guys would make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. I think I, we can compare offense you know, to, to some of these rocks that it's like, someone said something to me, they did something to me, but it was pretty small. But it bothered me. And I'm going to hold on to it. But the nice thing is it's a little offense. So like it doesn't really get in the way of too many of my relationships. But I do know that it's here because I keep it here. Because if they ever try to talk to me again, I just want to make sure that I have this handy so that I can just chunk it and hit them in the head with it to remind them of what they did. 
but it doesn't mess with my relationships. It just, you know, when someone says, you know, the word that reminds me of it, or if someone begins to treat me that way, it reminds me of this little thing. But then a person like that, you know, they offended me once and it was a small way, but then they did the same exact thing again. And you know that when someone does the same exact thing that offended you, it doesn't, it's not equal, it's bigger. It's, it's more than twice as big. It's like they did that twice, and now it's like, okay, this is kind of impeding some of my natural relationships. Like there's too many things that are reminding me of this, and I should probably deal with this. I don't really want this in my hand. But then again, I want to be sure that I have it close by in mind, that if I have the opportunity to put them in their place, that I do it. And we begin to hold on to offenses, and it happens in family. It happens in work until we've had so many offenses that it's like, you know, my right hand is just busy all the time holding on to these offenses. Because if someone wants, wants to play, like I am prepared, I am hardened, my heart is ready, my mind is ready to remind them of what they've done. But now here's the thing. This hand is so busy holding on to offense that if someone falls down, I don't have the free hand to help them up. And the offense that was someone else's fault, legitimately, it was their fault, they hurt me. But when you choose to hold on to it, it changes your capacity to help someone else. It changes your capacity to be in a healthy relationship with your children if you haven't dealt with the trauma that happened between you and your parents. If you haven't healed from the past relationship that happened a decade ago, it's going to affect your relationship with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend if you keep holding on to that, that offense. And this is why God's people are called to be slow to anger because when we grab a hold of offense and we hold on to it, it keeps us from the calling that God has for us because our hands are too busy holding on to the anger when we're supposed to have hands that are providing healing for the world around us. And so there, there, there comes this moment of recognition that the pain that I have in my heart still that is someone else's fault, I need to let go of it for me and for my relationship for God, with God because there's a whole calling ahead of me in my life, a calling to be a better husband, a calling to be a better wife, a calling to be a better parent, a calling to be a better friend, a calling to be a better neighbor. And in order to fulfill that calling, I have to choose to say, this has been in my heart and it's been hurting, but what happened with my father, I need to let it go into God's hands for myself and for my calling. That what they said about me and it cut me to the deepest point in my heart for me and for the calling that God has for me I have to let it out of my hand for the decision that they made that hurt me I have to let it go and for the thing that was small that I never should have hung on to something this small I've got to let it drop because Christ has called us to be a source of love and grace compassion Jesus in John 8 was brought a woman who was caught in adultery caught in the very act and there's a whole different subject of where was the man he should have been there too but this, this mob of men that dragged this woman, this woman before Jesus and, and let the man go free they, they wanted Jesus to condemn her condemn her to death for the sin of adultery. And the passage says that, that Jesus bent down and, and began to, to write in, in the dust and the dirt. And we don't know exactly what he wrote, 
Uh, there, there's a lot of, there's probably a connection to Jeremiah 17 um, uh, of writing the sins of those who, who will be wiped away. Uh, traditionally, what's believed is that Jesus was writing out the commandments and that were broken, and then he began writing out the sins of probably the men that were there that day. And what rabbis would do is they would write out the sins in the dust, and if they found someone guilty, they would connect their name to the sin. And as he's writing out the names and the sins, what's believed about this passage is that the people who were in the mob that day who said, we don't like her sin, and so we want to see her punished for it, as they were reminded for their sin, and Jesus said, after writing in the dust, he stood up and he said, those of you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And there's this air of which one of you wants to try to tell me that you're not guilty and it created a response of well I'm guilty too so I need to just drop the stone and walk away the person who offended you they may not deserve your forgiveness and they may not deserve you to let go of that offense but you deserve to let go of that offense. Because of the grace that God gave you for your missteps, you have grace that you can give away for other people's missteps. And when you do that, when you trust God with that, you will find yourself at a place where you once again feel peace. I want to pray for you. Father, for each one of us who have experienced hurt, who have experienced trauma, who has been offended as we've held on to that offense, would you give us the courage now to stop hiding the hurt that was there, to release it into your hands, to release it into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus who took our place on the cross, who took our punishment so that we could have forgiveness and so that we could extend forgiveness. And I pray for those whose heart is hurting because of relationships where there's been offense. Would you give peace? Would you give forgiveness? Would you give compassion? We will seek to walk in your ways and trust you with this area of our heart. In your son's name we pray.